Where are you in your leadership journey? Designed to inspire and empower other ambitious individuals, the Mindful Rebel podcast series is designed to bring attention to grassroots leaders in our community and focus on where they are currently in their leadership journey. The podcast will share the advice of doers and thinkers demonstrating success in life and in their respective areas of impact. Welcome to the Mind for Rebel podcast, the podcast about journeys in leadership. In this episode, we'll talk to Dr. Jonathan P. Higgins, LGBT influencer, published writer, and curator for drjohnpaul.com. He was named among the National Black Justice Coalition's top 100 black LGBTQ people to watch. Welcome, Dr. John Paul. Hello. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, anytime. Thank you uh, for being here with us. Um, so as we get started, um, can you talk a little bit about your leadership journey and um, how it's brought you to where you are now um, with the writing that you do and the work that you do for the LGBT community? Mm -hmm. So, you know, leadership has always been something that I've always kind of contended with. And I think that the definition for me has become somewhat broad as I've done the work that I've done. I know in terms of my journey, a lot of it started when I was in college. I know going into college, I didn't really have this, you know, this person behind me basically driving me to say, you know, we're going to encourage you, you know, th that, that term mentor, right? So mm -hmm. I didn't have your traditional mentor who, you know, found me in college and kind of pushed me. But the experiences I had in college helped me to define kind of what my leadership style was. Um, thinking about when I was a resident assistant in college. So I was a resident assistant for three years. And then moving on and, and, and some of the jobs that I had on the outside, I worked at Starbucks, you know, I worked at Wendy's, I worked, um, <laughs> I worked at all these random places, you know, to kind of keep money in my pocket. And as I started kind of learning more about, you know, what leadership looks like and, you know, finding more opportunities that provided me to be able to give my, like, utilize my voice as well as my um, experience in, in terms of both my queer identity and my, my black identity, um, I found folks saying, you know, oh my gosh, you're, you know, this great individual. You always have such great things to say. You know, you should go on and do your master's or you should, you know, go on and do your doctorate. You know, I had folks in my life who were ultimately kind of saying they saw, you know, my potential to be this great leader. And so leadership for me, you know, when you when we look at the definition, it's this book term of like, how do we lead people and how do we connect with people? But I think my master's degree really taught me it had an emotional intelligence um, frame to it. And this mm. notion of how do we motivate people to be their best people? How do we engage with people? How do we how do we get folks to to see not only to understand where we come from, but how do we motivate them to be the best individuals that they can be as they're working with us? And I think oftentimes we talk a little bit about leadership from the perspective of, you know, well, I'm, I'm a, you know, I always say there's a difference between being a boss and there's a, a difference between being a leader and there's a difference between being a manager. And I like to think of myself as kind of a, 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 of, of a, a medium between all three of them. You know, I am the, the owner of Dr. John Paul, right? I started it, I created it, but at the same time, I have to manage the content that comes out. I have to manage the way I connect with people via social media, how I drive conversations to my site. And then at the same time, there's this leadership aspect of how I oftentimes will put myself in front of the conversation to say, well, what about the black voice or what about the queer voice or what about the black and queer voice? So, you know, it's, it's really 
throughout my journey, I've really learned how to position myself in terms of the roles that I carry and the work that I do to make sure that I'm not only representing people, but getting folks to be able to look um, introspectively in terms of the work that they do or what they're interested in and how I can help drive that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So you you spoke a lot about this whole concept of of mentoring and, and kind of motivating others to to you know become their best selves or that's this whole idea of like self-actualizing around who they are and one of the common theme themes that has i want to say emerge with the podcast is this whole idea of like being authentic to who you are um and i guess how has that driven your leadership journey you know and in, in in a lot of the work that you do you are speaking directly from a place of the identities that you hold, you know, whether that's a a, a, a black man, uh, whether that's a, a queer person or, or the intersection of those identities and what that looks like. So um, I guess the question out of that <laughs> would be, um, how would you suggest someone, you know, maybe even from a mentoring perspective of starting to, I guess, be comfortable walking in their authentic truth? Mm, yeah, you know, I think that, that it starts, I you know, it's very easy to say, oh, it starts early. I think for me was, so when I look back on my own journey and I, I, I blog and I write and I talk a lot about this when I, when I travel and I speak, you know, this notion of who was I before my journey began. And I think that there were a lot of things that not only happened to me, but happened for me in a way because of my identities. And I had to flip that. I had to flip that as as someone who's doing this work. So it's real easy to get pigeonholed into this place of all of these cards are dealt against me. I use this analogy a lot too. I'm I'm really big on analogies. I said, when I was born, God handed me a whole entire deck of yellow Uno cards and he was like, play. And I'm (laughs) going, I'm going, I need a draw four. I need reds. I need blues. Like, can I just get something else? And God was like, nope, figure it out. And I think for me that that has been kind of the, the theme in my life is when I'm in a bad situation or when I've been, when I look at my situation and I think about the things that have been quote unquote handed to me, it's always been a figure it out. And that's exactly what I've done. And so when you're talking about owning that in terms of authenticity, I think about how I talk to people, how I connect with people, having to remind folks like just because, you know, I have the doctorate degree doesn't mean that I don't know what the struggle looks like. You know, I was at an event just recently and I had to remind someone, I said, you know, I've seen folks be murdered. I've seen folks get shot in front of me. You know, I always say the streets raised me, but education saved me. And I think that that's the biggest thing that I've been really, of the platform that I've been on these last couple of, of years is really just telling folks like, stop looking at the negatives in your life that you've been handed as as these setbacks and start figuring out how you can maneuver them to move forward. And yes, you have to be cognitive because yes, you know, the academy, um, you know, business, all these different places, they want to monopolize on your story. I know my manager, I'm working with a company right now. And one of the biggest things that she's been saying to me is be careful not to let them uh, basically hustle you out of your story. And that idea of they will profit off of your story and you don't make anything out of it. And the first conversation I had with them was, if we're going to work together, do know you have to pay me. You know, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's this notion of people of color, we oftentimes, because our, because our struggle, um, 
pushes us to hustle in a, in, a, in a way, we oftentimes get hustled out of our story. And so I say all of that to come back around to this notion of I know my experience, I know my struggles, I've made a lot out of those struggles. I mean, even where I'm at now, I, I'm not where I want to be right now, but I'm getting there. And I think the biggest thing for me has been as I move forward, how do I not forget where I've been and what I've gone through? But how do I make sure that as I'm moving forward, I don't let um, the, the, the different things around me, like I said, academia, business, all these different things, how do I not let them make me forget where I've been and what I stand for. And so I think that that's what keeps me authentic is this notion of going, no, you're not going to play me. I know what game you're going to run. And at the end of the day, I got a game that I'm playing too. And it's not saying that everything for me is about money, but it is about this notion of the work that I do is work. Yes, I'm devoted to the work and I've continued to do the work. But what I think happens oftentimes, and like I said about our authenticity is that we lose ourselves in the work and we oftentimes get blindsided by the games that a lot of folks will play. So I just think, again, at the end of the day, it really does, it does come back to this notion of, um, I had to ask someone this just recently, who are you? And I know for me, I'm constantly asking myself every single day, like Dr. Higgins, who are you today? Who were you yesterday? Who were you a couple months ago? And as you're progressing forward, how do you stay kind of grounded in the person that you're becoming? So you, you, you know, in, in Thank you for saying, you know, and, and one of the things I've t I told some of my other guests about this is that, you know, the, the purpose of this podcast is to put um, positive narratives out there for other people to be able to latch on to and, and learn from. But a lot of this is, has served to kind of be a, a therapeutic thing for me as well. And that's kind of me looking at it from a selfish perspective. So thank you for saying what you're saying, because a lot of this is reaffirming uh, for me in the work that I do as well. Um, and being a you know a black queer man who's all, who's pursuing a PhD as well and understanding what that navigation looks like, um, yeah. but you touched on a piece and, and and there was something I wanted to pull out which kind of segues into the next question um, of of talking about our story kind of being monetized or um, becoming our product to a certain degree and you can see this you know in, in pop culture you can see this in in, in different types of media. Um, so that kind of helps me segue into talking about Moonlight. Um, you know, this film has gotten a lot of uh, critical acclaim. You know, mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to see the film um, in a special screening at Morehouse College um, and being a part of a discussion that occurred after it with some of the actors. And for those who have not seen Moonlight, it's a story that explores uh, uh, a narrative around uh, black queer identity. And so I got a chance to read your article on The Root, um, From Blackbird to Moonlight, Black Queer Men Are More Than Enough. Um, what do you think this film, you know, from reading your article, I, I, I can, I, I get your perspective, but I, I just, I guess I want to talk about it a little more. What do you think this film does for the narrative for, for, for folks who identify as um, black and queer? Does this help or, uh, I don't know, what, what do you think? What you, I, I'd be interested to, to hear more of your perspective around that. Yeah, so I've, I've gone back and forth, and this is the thing. You know, I wrote another article that got some reception that wasn't the most positive. I wrote an article about the perception of how um, I feel that media hates black women. Um, and I think as a whole, and this is, and, and again, this can be considered problematic for some, I believe in general, as a society, we're taught to hate women, specifically black women. Um, but that's a whole nother conversation for another day. <laughs> um, but what I, what I will say in writing that Blackbird article, it's this notion of how how, yes, our stories are, are, yes, it's an important story to tell. And I will say this at the top, I loved Moonlight. So I will tell you right now that I am, 
I am here for that film. I'm here, I'm here for every single thing that that film stands for because, you know, I was going back and forth with someone on Twitter just recently. That film, there were pockets of that film that literally I felt like I was watching my life play out. And those were the most, I would say, emotional moments for me as I was watching the film because, you know, I could, I could see Chiron and I could see myself in Chiron. And so there's all these different layers of that story is not my story. You know, the, the idea of, you know, having a drugged out mother and all these, these different things. But there were elements of Chiron trying to find himself where I'm thinking to myself, these are all the different layers that I, you know, I've had to go through to become who I am. But what I will say in, in writing that article was I, I genuinely, I was scrolling Netflix this morning and I went to the LGBTQ section and as I was scrolling it, there were probably only two or three black films that were in there. There's Pariah, um, there's the new black documentary, and then there was one other black film that was in there that I haven't watched yet. And I'm saying to myself, it's frustrating that we as black queer people don't have more representation in our stories. And so what happens is folks will clamor to the negative stories and will utilize those stories for profit without telling the positive stories. And that's literally what my article was trying to say. Where are the stories of, of black men like myself who have overcome, right? Mm -hmm. Like where are the black stories of, where are the moonlight stories? And I say moonlight in quotations. Where are the moonlight stories where you have a black man who like myself came from the hood went to you know a four-year institution went got his bachelor's struggled to get his doctorate now has a pretty decent job has started his own business is out here writing for these you know large companies you know i'm i'm you know like i said i'm working with a very large organization right now and i'm, I'm hoping i can finalize some things at the end of the day but i say all of that to say the reality of the matter is, is that there are more stories that need to be told. And so I just get frustrated, specifically as an LGBTQ curator, that when I go into meetings with folks or when I do phone interviews with folks, there's always this notion of, oh my gosh, you've made it. That is so, that's so inspiring. And it's like, yeah, that's a part of my story, but that's not all of my story. And there are a lot and of folks like you that are out there that are, are, that are making it. Right. Right, right. Mm -hmm. You know, thinking of Sean Harper. Sean Harper is a great example yeah. of a black queer man who is doing it. You know, I think about there, there, and there are quite a few. You know, that I know. You know, J Jamie Washington, great example of men who are who are literally out there that have companies and organizations that are thriving. And so my thing just becomes: I love the fact that we have our Blackbird, and I love the fact that we have Moonlight. Yes. They are two films that represent a subset of the experience that I have. But it's frustrating when you have organizations like, you know, and again, I'm not trying to call anyone out, oh, but it's frustrating when you have organizations like the HRC that will profit on the on a story of a trans individual instead of wanting to help them get their stories out and say, these are the positive ways that I'm doing what I'm doing. I mean, like I applaud HBO. HBO is doing a documentary that's coming out this week and they're talking about trans experiences. I'm not 100% happy with everybody that's in that film but what I will say is, is that there are organizations out there and there are companies out there that are saying let's redefine the way that we, we, we film this narrative or let's redefine the way we write this narrative and that's what I'm asking for. Keep the conversations going around Moonlight. Keep the conversations going around Blackbird. The young man in Blackbird, I met him, he's an amazing talented artist but the thing is for me at the end of the day those are two of the pieces of the puzzle in terms of our full narrative. 
when will we have the equal representation to say, yeah, there are black men out there who are thriving, who are not overly feminine, you know, overly feminine, or who are not, you know, who are not quote unquote stereotypical queer men. I mean, I love that Titus is in, you know, and 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 um, the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. He's ultimately, I'm, and I'm actually in the process of writing a piece on him. I love the work that he's done, and I and I I applaud him and I salute him for being so visible and for being out there. But like I said, there are more stories that need to be told, and I just wish that Hollywood would see that. Absolutely, and sometimes those other narratives start to overpower the overall perception of of different communities. Correct. Yes. So even so, even as we transition and, and still talking about like narratives around communities, you know, this year has been a year full of public trauma, especially around, especially for black queer men uh, with the mass shooting in Orlando to countless black men being killed by officers. Um, can you tell me what prompted outside of that? What prompted you to write your article um, when coping is no longer enough um, that's featured on your site? Yeah, you know, that article came from a place of me being, you know, it really kind of started with that safety pin uh, piece, right? Mm. You know, so there were articles going around about, oh, the need for the safety pins, you know, oh, we're there for you, we're in your corner, we want to support you. And this notion of how, we, you know, folks will say, I mean, even in the work that I do, this notion of, oh, if you need some help, you can go here, X, Y, and Z. And it always seems that a lot of the resources that are given um, to people, specifically queer people of color when they're in trauma, is this notion of just enough to keep them okay, like keep them at surface level, right? No one ever wants to go past the conversation of, okay, coping is important, but how are we going to fix the problem so that way they don't just have to cope? And I think that that's the thing that really led me to writing that article. It was this notion of me being so you know, almost having this visceral response to um, how oftentimes I'm triggered and, and how many days of the of the week I'm triggered. And then how when bad things do happen, someone will just kind of hand me a Band-Aid and say, oh, that, that should be able to hold you. You know, that should be okay that, you know, you can cope. I hope you can cope. And it's like, no, like if we started educating folks more, if we stopped doing half of the things that we do and saying half of the things that we say, then me as a black queer man, I wouldn't have to cope. You know, I would I would ultimately be able to live my life. And, you know, something that I, I guess I've been really kind of on or this wave that I've been on um, is, is, is not necessarily always being in kind of like attack mode when I see things in relation to disparity or oppression, but really being a forefront of motion of no you know what you're doing and you know what kind of effect that's going to have on me so stop it you know and i think that that's you know if you go through my twitter feed that kind of happened this morning you know there is a celebrity who said something and i literally read them i said you need you know better you know better and yet you utilize and you stand behind your white privilege to be able to say oh well it's not that big of a deal you know we should all just get over this word or we should all just get over that and it's like no no, you so so again, this notion of me coping, going back to that, I just get tired of, of of people constantly handing me, you know, resources or different things saying, oh, you know, this can help you. No, if we all looked at the the, the, the issues at a larger scale and we just started telling folks, you know, own your 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 responsibility and, and the mess that you've created and the mess that you made, then we wouldn't have to cope. We, we, it wouldn't be just for me enough for me to cope. And I think that that also the notion of telling me to cope or, or telling, you know, or, or, or 
asking someone how are they coping is almost putting the responsibility back on the person who's oppressed. And that's the thing that really, I think, gets under my skin is that when we as people of color, specifically queer people of color, when we are um, triggered in some way, shape or form, it's oftentimes put back on us to be the ones that have to deal with how we respond to it and how we feel about it and what, what kind of help we're going to get ourselves to be able to get through it. And I'm just going, no, like it, it, it no longer is our responsibility to constantly make other people feel comfortable and, and make them feel like they can get away with doing and saying half the things that they say. So I think for me, it's just that article came from me being tired. And I think a lot of the stuff I've been writing and a lot of the stuff that I've been working on has literally came from me saying, you know what, I'm just really over this being my problem when I'm not the one creating the problems. Absolutely. You, I feel like we have people from, from a position of privilege trying to police our own emotions. Mm -hmm. And with that, you know, that it, it does get tiring. You know, I, I found myself in that same kind of place, whether that's been at work, um, whether that's just been navigating the gym or navigating any of the spaces that I'm in. You know, there's been, you know, with the election results and, and just with with the way things are kind of progressing, this this discussion has moved um, into almost all arenas now. And so it, it, it gets tiring because you feel like you're in a place of people just policing your emotions of saying, you know, it's okay, it'll be okay, it'll be fine. I'm even thinking about things that are happening around president-elect, you know, there, there are issues around, give him a chance or we'll see when it's okay for me to feel the way I feel because he's shown me what he's, you know, just by, by talking through, through campaigning of what he can, what he has the possibility to do and that should be enough um, yeah. for folks around the table. Right, right. Mm -hmm. I think, and that that's, I think that's the, the other idea too of, um, you know, I've, and I, I've, I've seen several tweets, I've seen several posts on Facebook, this notion of, you know, well, y'all didn't give Obama a chance when he first got in office, you know, everyone was writing him off as soon as he, you know, walked through the door. And so, you know, it's, it's not for me, it's not the tip for tat. I've been telling people since he's been elected, everything for me has not been about him being elected the president. That's not my problem. Him being president, him not being qualified to be president, that it just goes to show every single element around this election goes to show what type of sexism lies here in, in, in our country. But I think for me, the biggest thing has been this notion and this element of how when people of color or people from marginalized groups are are or are, are attacked or or oftentimes have to deal with kind of addressing the oppression that they are that they face how folks who don't have to deal with those oppressions um, oftentimes, again, put it back on the person who's being oppressed to carry that load. And I mean, even thinking about, you know, um, even, you know, I, I've written a piece that's actually going to come out this week talking about Christian privilege. You know, mm. I know that that's really touchy for some people because they're going, oh, you know, that means that you're attacking Christians. No, you know, in my article, I said, I have some amazing people in my life who are extremely Christian. I said, but we have to think about it from this per from this prospect that there are folks that, you know, everyone keeps saying, oh, God's going to take care of us and the Lord's going to handle us and everything's going to be okay. There are Muslim individuals who can't say that, right? There are people who are, who are from different beliefs who are in a place where their religion and the way that we view their religion is, is under attack. So we have to be very cautious about how we talk about these things and, and where we're going with these conversations. But my biggest thing has been just that. It's this notion of, I am just really, 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 really fed up with um, 
people of color always having to be the ones to educate uh, people of color, specifically queer people of color, having to call other folks out for their misogyny, for their racism, for all these different things. And the idea that I don't have the right to be angry when I have a president who represents me on a larger scale, basically telling me all of the things he's going to do to make sure that my life is a living hell. That it just doesn't sit well for me. So, and with that, I think this is a, a a progressive kind of shift to this. You know, there's been a lot of talk, especially for folks who are at this point where they're fed up and where they're at this point where they're upset. And 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 you know, I think one of the positive sides, and I hate to to think of it that way, but one of the positive sides to to the way the election panned out is that I think it's 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 doing a great job at galvanizing people to kind of almost like a call to action for folks to mm -hmm. say like. Listen, listen. We got to, we got to do something. We can't talk about it. We need to start moving and do something. But with that, you know, mental health is starting to become a big issue. That that is, that is, I think, moving towards the forefront. Which, and I, I think it's good, especially for our communities. Um, um, and in the past few weeks, there's been a lot of talk around Kanye West and the issues that he's been dealing with, and you know. There have been people saying that, you know, this we can't call this a mental health issue. And he's been dealing with something for for a while. But you also what it is, we do have someone, you know, a black man who's dealing with some some issues. What are your thoughts around that? And then I guess, you know, expanding that, what are also I guess some of your thoughts around um self care and, and, and dealing with these issues? Because I think it is becoming something that that we can't continue to sweep under the rug. Um, right. especially with everything that we're being we're being bombarded with on a daily basis that is almost a, a, an attack on some of our identities mm -hmm. yeah I, so i mean i wrote an article uh, as you may or may not know for the root about that mm -hmm. um i was asked to write an article you know about my perspective of kanye and i said you know i think a lot of it has to do is how do we my, my the way I, I i kind of addressed that article was how do we address what toxic masculinity looks like um, how do we address that, you know, the, the notion that masculinity is a prison? How do we address that? Um, and the notion of, especially in our black communities, this, this idea that when you are struggling or when you're having an emotional breakdown or when you're, when you're just tired, right? When you're just, when you've just been through enough, this notion of, no, you have to stay strong. And I likened it to, you know, not, not in the article, but I likened it on some other places where I've posted that this mindset has to to have come from slavery. This idea that, you know, those who are in power cannot see you break and cannot see you be sad or, or see you be hurt. And so I think when we start talking about this, this idea that Kanye is a public figure and for maybe the last 10 years, he's been going and going and going and going to this place where he finally has allowed himself to break down. Um, it really talks about how, you know, in a way Kanye has done 10 years of hard time, right? Mm. Like he has literally been in his own jail and not, not recognizing as well as not addressing the demons and the stressors and the things that he has, he's had to deal with. And I know, you know, for me, I've been, I've been very vocal and, and I've, I've gotten this a lot at my job. A lot of folks go, I just love how transparent you are. I have literally been in meetings and I said, okay, well, we need to leave this meeting or we need to wrap this meeting up because I have a therapy appointment at three o'clock. And people will just look at me and be like, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah, I go, I go to therapy every two weeks and I'm very vocal and I'm very open about it. Not because I want people to uh, feel bad for me, but I'm like, why, why do we, um, 
why do we villainize this notion of of getting help? Like, especially as black people, when we're dealing with so much, and I mean, black, um, what is it? Racial battle fatigue is real. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's something that I, I know that there have been days where I've wake, waken up and I've literally looked at my phone and I'm like, you know what? I can't do this today. And I, I've called in and said, I can't come into work because I know what kind of reaction I'm going to have if somebody mentions it to me or someone says it to me. And so I think it's best that I stay home. But just even just recently, when I went to my therapy appointment last week, my therapist made a comment. She says, you're, you're one of the strongest clients that I have. And she's like, and I'm so thankful that you recognize that even though you're a strong person, you still need someone to talk to or you still need someone to help you process. And I think that's the thing we need to start talking about. How are we as black people processing the stuff that we constantly have to deal with? How are we processing conversation, conversations around race? How are we processing the responsibility he has as a black father now? You know, he has two kids. He has this wife who is also in the public light. He's in the public light 24 hours a day. Where's his where's his moment to turn off? And I think that that's been the biggest thing, you know, for me, whereas I recognize that he's under a duress of stress because he he does not have moments to really step back and really just say, these are my this is my time. This is my time to be able to just be me and be able to kind of just live. And so I think that that's important. I think us as black folks, we need to we need to move away from, quote unquote, always having to be strong and allow ourselves to be not necessarily see ourselves as weak, but just allow ourselves to be human. I think that's really what it comes down to. Kanye just needed a moment to be human and we all need that. And I think we have to really start talking about that as a community. Why are we not allowing black men specific, why are we not allowing black people, specifically black men to just be human for, for at least an hour every two weeks? Right, wow. Um, so with that, um, we're going to kind of transition into our rapid fire questions. And, and this is going to be like some fun personality questions before we wrap up the interview overall. Um, so with that, um, what's your favorite piece of clothing? Favorite piece of clothing. I have actually, I'm wearing, oh, I wasn't, I'm, I was, there's this shirt that I got from, um, American Eagle <laughs> and it was like a $5 shirt, but it's my favorite piece of clothing because it is the most comfortable material I have ever bought in my life. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, do you prefer reading books or watching movies? I prefer reading. Okay. Now, if there was a book that you could turn into a film, what would that be? A book that I would turn into a film. Oh, my goodness. I've been doing a lot of scholarly reading mm-hmm. lately, so I don't... Um, oh, I just wrapped up um, Joy DeGroy's book, so I'm not... Oh, goodness. If there was a book that I could turn into a movie, that's a hard question. I don't. I, I can't think off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. Um, what are three music artists that you would like to see in one concert? Okay, well, obviously Beyonce okay. will always be number one. <laughs> um, it would always. It would probably be really cool, though, if... if I, who did I just say recently I think would make a really good tour? I think it would be really cool to see, like, Bruno Mars, Beyonce... Um, and possibly maybe, um, even though her music is not the best, I still think Sierra is an amazing dancer. Okay. So yeah, maybe Sierra, Bruno Mars and Beyonce together. Okay. Um, what is, what has been one resource or one leadership resource that has been most helpful for you? Whether that's a book, you know, a podcast, TV show, um, person. 
I think the one thing that I've and I I've said has saved my life is the the friend zone podcast. Mm. I think that podcast as a whole because it focuses on mental health um, and mental wellness because their tagline "Who in the hell wants a musty brain?" I think for me is it, it, the reason why I feel like that one has done so much for me is it provides me moments of like I because I commute so I commute to work to and from work and when I do listen to the podcast it provides me an hour of just resources in terms of like whether it's like uh, an oil or whether it's like you know moments for me to process how I'm feeling about certain issues or revisiting certain issues in my life it's just a good hour to two hours of me basically focusing on bettering myself and I love that podcast um to the moon and back Okay. And then the last question, as we wrap up, um, what would you like to be known for at the end of the day? I think I'd be like, I'd like to be known for challenging the, the status quo. I think at the end of the day, LGBTQ work has been white for the longest. It has been white cisgender men who have been pushing these movements. I mean, thinking about like ACT UP and all of the different, you know, Harvey Milk, all of these individuals, they're white cis men who have really been creating change for the community. And while I don't want to take that away, I, I think people of color, specifically queer people of color, um, really, it's it's our time to be able to say, no, we need the space to. You know, we, we need our stories to be represented. We deserve to be seen in the same light you do because our struggle if is not, if not worse, is just as hard as yours is. Um, and so I think that that's the one thing I want to be known for. I want to be known for that person who's actively challenging those, the stakeholders, the people who have the access to power to create space and to open doors for people of color, um, queer people of color, trans people of color to be able to walk through them. Well, thank you so much, Dr. John Paul. I appreciate this interview. It was, it was amazing. It was enlightening. Um, and, and like the, your writing, um, it was very insightful in the sense that you are definitely tackling an intersection where, again, like you said, we're not getting as much um, visibility. And it's good to yeah. see someone writing and focusing um, in those areas that don't necessarily get as much attention as they should. So thank you. Uh -huh. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated the time. And so for more information about his excellent published articles and um, more on the work that he's doing, please go to drjohnpaul.com. Thank you for listening to the Mindful Rebel podcast. Stay tuned for our next exciting episode. Stay connected on your leadership journey with the Mindful Rebel podcast by visiting themindfulrebel.co, following the show on Instagram at mindfulrebelpodcast, and subscribing to the Mindful Rebel on the iTunes podcast app. Remember, the podcast is for you. So if you have questions about leadership that you want to hear discussed or you're interested in contributing to the show, feel free to share at themindfulrebel.co.